Welcome to Western New York Catholic Weekly, a production of the Office of Communications for the Catholic Diocese of Buffalo. Stay tuned as Greg Prince brings the Catholic newsmakers to you. Wherever it's happening in the diocese, you'll hear about it on Western New York Catholic Weekly. We have what I think is another terrific Year of Mercy topic here on Western New York Catholic Weekly this week, and it deals with refugees, particularly Syrian refugees, and our guest is no stranger to Western New York Catholic Weekly. In fact, he was a uh, past Catholic Communication Campaign chairperson for our Office of Communications, which, by the way, that's coming up again in June. Just you know, just putting that out there. Uh, Deacon Don Weigel joined us again. Deacon, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Greg. Good to be here. Uh, and I know we've also had you on to talk about public policy, and this topic is going to kind of hit on a lot of those areas. It, as, it will. It does indeed. Yeah. Uh, you know, as we go along today here on the program, you uh, recently, and, and you know, by recently I mean back the first of the year, um, uh, took an overseas trip, not to Syria. Um, thank goodness, because we like to have you back here yes. in, in, you know, <laughs> West New York, but you were working specifically with Catholic Relief Services and Syrian refugees. So tell us a little bit about just just a general intro to what it was that trip involved. Yeah, there were – I'm a global fellow for Catholic Relief Services, which means that there are about – I guess there are about 70 or 80 of us, uh, 70 or 80 of us around the country priests and deacons whose charge it is to preach on behalf of Catholic Relief Services, um, not collect money, <laughs> but, but to help tell the story. So there were about, um, there were about eight of us, global fellows, that, that took this trip along with a couple of staff from CRS. And we spent half of our time in Athens and half of our time in Belgrade, Serbia. And uh, our mission there was really to go and to experience what the Syrian refugees are experiencing, to witness what they're going through, to see their um, – to see the process that, that they're having, especially the refugees that are making the trip from Syria uh, through Europe to get to Germany. That, that was most of the people that we were, that we were witnessing. Okay, and we're going to talk about the specifics of that and why the, that travel route and, and why those areas where you were, all those kinds of things. I want to back up a little bit, though, because you, of course, mentioned Catholic Relief Services. You're a global fellow for Catholic Relief Services. Uh, there's another guy here in the Diocese of Buffalo that's very active in Catholic Relief Services. That would happens, be uh, our bishop. Be bishop. Yeah, yeah, yes. right. Bishop Richard Malone, <laughs> yeah. who's, on the, who's on the board. Uh, is he also a global fellow, I think, for them? I think he um, I think, has I think been he, involved I in think that he has been involved, yeah. and he was, and for a yeah. number of years, he was on the. Uh, there's two sections of of uh, Catholic Relief Services. One is the domestic operations, and the other is the international. The domestic is uh, is about getting people in the United States involved in the mission, um, and the international is about what what CRS actually does overseas. So he was on both boards, uh, one after the other. So he's intimately familiar and and been a tremendous, tremendous supporter of Catholic Relief Services and uh, a great witness to us in the diocese. Yeah, and it is um, – we've, we've been talking a lot in recent uh, weeks here about Catholic charities, uh, particularly during this, this year of mercy and the great works of mercy that they do. And and this is almost right the, the, the international counterpart to that. That's a great way to put it. That's right. So, so if you think of Catholic charities as providing all of those 
works of mercy, if you will, to people here in the States. Um, CRS is, is the organization that is a part of the U.S. Bishops Conference. So it's the Catholic organization that provides those or similar kinds of works of mercy for people outside the bounds of the United States. Uh, and now, you, of course, are uh, a man of many hats. I mean, uh, uh, and the, actually the hat that brings you here, besides being a global fellow with Catholic Relief Services, is your own work with Catholic Charities here in Buffalo. Yes, that's right. Yes. I've, I've been associated with the public policy department at Catholic Charities, and, and the, the great association there has been the opportunity for um, for me to to do some advocacy work as well as to help other people in the diocese understand how that advocacy work works how you know what that what that responsibility is for us to advocate on behalf of uh, those people who don't have a voice for themselves and we're talking with Deacon Don Weigel here on Western New York Catholic Weekly this week and uh, a little bit about a, a trip he took to work with Syrian refugees back at the first of the year. And it, it was featured in, you may have seen it already, in the March 2016 issue of the Western New York Catholic. And I, I, uh, I think Kim did a really good job, you know, covering the, the story there. I maybe want to start by maybe just giving people some background on, first of all, what is this problem with Syrian refugees? Why does it exist? Uh, yeah. You know, if it's if it didn't happen like this morning, it right. tends to fall out of the news cycle here right. in this country. That, that's true. That's true. And and the unfortunate the unfortunate part of this of the Syrian refugee problem is that it's a, it's a problem which is nearly five years old now. Um, back in the uh, back in the year two thousand eleven. There was the Arab Spring, if everybody remembers those those terms, where Tunisia and no, Egypt. We're not even. And, there's exactly what I was talking about. We're not even using that. No, term we're not anymore. even using that anymore, yeah. right? Because that's a, that's a distant memory. Sure, but exactly. So yeah. many so many places in the Arab world were thinking that you know the their form of government would um, would tend more towards democracy than an authoritarian government. So there were um, you know some type very very um, peaceful. Uprisings and and um, if you want to call them that, or at least protests or sure. movements, sure. in some places Tunisia was a good example. Some were a little more violent. Libya was an example of that. In Syria, it was a very peaceful beginning of a very nonviolent um, start to to have you know uh, uh, President Bashar al-Assad think about opening the windows to a little bit more democratic um, way of governing. <clears throat> And instead, it was met with a tremendous amount of repression. Um, and so as the nonviolent and peaceful um, protests were met with guns and tanks and bombs. And, and so the war began. And so the, you know, as soon as that began happening, some of the rebel groups then started arming themselves. So then you started having that. And then in the midst of all of that, you had, other, you had a whole series of, of groups that were unrelated but all wanted to see Assad thrown out. And then you had ISIS come in and fighting on the side of the rebels. So, so from the United States viewpoint, you know, they, they did not want to support Assad, um, but they did not want to support ISIS. And yet and it's a very complicated political situation. So what has happened over these five years now has been the result of this is that in a, in a nation of about 22 million people, 12 million of them are displaced. Uh, so it's more than half of the people have been displaced from their homes. Uh, nearly 5 million of them have actually left 
the, the, the country of Syria and gone across the border to somewhere else out of a population of 22 million and another 12 million or so of, of those people are displaced within um, – with, or another 8 million rather are displaced within the country themselves. So that they are not where they lived and grew up but they are somewhere else in Syria trying to find a place for the, to be safe. It's just an amazing thing. So, so you have some, some a number of these Syrian refugees who have crossed the border uh, prominently into Lebanon and Jordan and, uh, and into Turkey especially. And, and so you have these folks who are just there in these refugee camps with the, the scenes that you see of like tents and rows and rows and rows of tents of people who are still hoping for the day when the conflict ends and they can go back. There's another entire group who has decided that it will never be solved in their lifetime or will not be solved to their satisfaction and so they are making the trek to go out of their country but go to in particular to Germany. Germany has welcomed Syrians with open arms. Um, uh, they have a lot of job opportunities. They've had kind of a negative population growth. And the Syrians, um, you know, I, one of the things that we need to do sometimes is to remind people that Syrians are not a poor group of people living in tents in the desert. These are uh, people who have a literacy rate that's higher than the United States and a high school graduation rate that's higher than the United States. These are well-educated well-spoken, successful people um, who now find themselves in the midst of a conflict that they didn't want and they didn't start and they're just doing the best they can to survive. Well, this is one of those points where I'm jealous of my TV counterparts with their ability to kind of show graphs, images, maps, all right, that kind of stuff. Exactly. Just to paint a picture for us because you mentioned you got 5 million people going from Syria yes. to Lebanon. Right. Okay. Right. Moving that direction. Yep. Um, we are not talking about large countries, right? Like no, Syria right. is not a large country. No, that's Lebanon right. Lebanon even smaller. Even smaller. That's right. And so, and so in Lebanon, for example, it's a, um, you know, one a full one quarter of the population of Lebanon now is Syrian refugees. Oh my gosh! So, so imagine in the United States, you know, what it would be like to have in our, in our population of three hundred plus million. Imagine for us to have. 125 million of them now as as part are all refugees uh, you know the it, it's it mind it's mind boggling and so there's a great need to help support those countries so that they don't just totally collapse and let me just go back to one of one of the first points you made about the start of the conflict in Syria um, you had a group um, who you know we'll now call the rebels looking to to change the situation in Syria, change change the government. Um, but what eventually happened with ISIS coming in isn't that kind of the antithesis of the change they were looking for? That's exactly right, and that's and that's that is that is more to the point. You know, I know that that um, that when people think of Syrian refugees and and perhaps refugees in general. And especially the fact that they are Muslim, there is a great in, – in no small part probably due to a number of people that are mongering some fear about, about Muslims. Um, but you know, there is a, a great deal of, of concern about, about these folks. But the reality is 
that the, the folks that are fleeing Syria are leaving the same people that we're afraid of. They're leaving – they are running away from not just their government who is blowing things up. They're running away from the terrorists that are trying to take over and, and, you know, and, and create mayhem uh, in, in their area as well. So you know, they're fleeing the same people that, um, that, that we think could do damage to our country as well. Uh, we're going to take a short break here on the program, and uh, when we come back, we'll we'll talk more about the specifics of the trip that our guest Deacon Don Weigel took uh, to Greece and Serbia to work with the uh, Syrian refugees and and to get a handle with Catholic Relief Services on exactly what they are facing. Uh, and we'll be back in just a moment here on Western New York Catholic Weekly. Make your voice heard. There are thousands of Catholic New Yorkers who are working together for justice in our society, promoting the values important to our faith. Join the Catholic Action Network and speak out in support of the poor and vulnerable, the sick and elderly, the unborn, families and children. Sign up online at nyscatholic.org and click on Join the Network. That's nyscatholic.org. For more information, call the Office of Pro-Life Activities of the Diocese of Buffalo at 716-847-2205 and visit the New York State Catholic Conference's Legislative Action Center. Read alerts on important legislative issues and email your state representative. Stay informed and strengthen the Catholic voice in New York. You'll find it all at nyscatholic.org. That's nyscatholic.org. Thanks for joining us on Western New York Catholic Weekly this week. I'm Greg Prince, and I'm joined by Deacon Don Weigel, who is, uh, a, among many other things, uh, a uh, associate public policy coordinator with Catholic Charities here in Buffalo, and also a global fellow with Catholic Relief Services. And we're talking a little bit about the Syrian refugee crisis. And so the trip you took, uh, Deacon Don, back in the first of the year, uh, Greece and Germany, explain to us that pathway, okay? You mentioned, we, we talked a little bit about Syrians moved to, to Lebanon, probably because it was the path of least resistance to right. get out of the country when right. they wanted to leave. So um, uh, you mentioned Germany is welcoming Syrian refugees. So how do we end up in Greece and Serbia? Yeah, so... Um, so Lebanon and people may have to dig out a map. Yes, <laughs> right. Explore, but, yes. But because sure. you know, because it's it's um, these are we're talking about the Balkan states here, uh, just just on the northern part of the eastern part of the Mediterranean Sea, right? So, um, so if you go west from Syria, you you go into Jordan and Lebanon. If you go basically directly north from Syria, you get into Turkey. Um, and so, if you get into Turkey. You can then go through Turkey to the west and you reach the sea, but you reach the thousand islands that make up the country of Greece. And so the path that, that, um, that most of these refugees have taken has been to go through Turkey, uh, sometimes on foot, sometimes by buses, sometimes by renting cars, a lot of times paying off smugglers who are there to make a living the way that the uh, coyotes do in, in, you know, across the Mexican border. But in any event, they go through Turkey and they get to the coast. They then pay someone to load them into these huge rubber rafts typically with carrying probably twice as many people as they ought to. And they point towards where Greece is and they send them on their way. Um, this is one of the most perilous parts of their journey. While we were in country, just while we were in country, there were 58 people who died trying to make that trip across the sea. 
and 26 of them were children. And you know we've we've seen that image of the young boy that washed up on the on the shore. This is this is the the part of the journey that's that's the most perilous. When they land on one of the Greek islands, international law says that that if someone comes into your international waters, um, you're responsible for them. So they land on one of the Greek islands, frequently on on the island of Lesbos, and then Greece mounts these these huge ferries that then ferry all these people from these islands into the port of Athens. And they come across and into the port of Athens three, five hundred a day, sometimes a thousand or two thousand a day, coming into the port of Athens. From there they hop onto buses. The buses take them north through Greece, through Macedonia, into Serbia. And then at the end of Serbia, they switch from buses to trains in Croatia. And then they get on a train in Croatia that takes them through Croatia and then eventually up to Austria and through Austria to, to Germany. So this is, an, this is a long trip for people. This is, you know, it's, it's, it's trains and it's buses and it's by foot and it's by car and it's, um, it's arduous and it's difficult and people are making this trip carrying everything that they own on their backs. Uh, now – couple things just strike me just off the top of my head here. First of all, you've got refugees going into Turkey whose government probably isn't interested in having Syrian refugees in their country at all. Right. Okay. Yeah. Then we're moving to Greece, a country where they couldn't possibly take Syrian refugees because they are economically unstable. Absolutely right. Then you're moving into Serbia, which is in a constant state of um, unrest. governmental economic unrest yeah. all the time. Yep. Okay. I mean, I'm not yep. trying to, you know, no, I'm not really right. trying to be funny or to no, be, you know, um, right. you know, um, or, or to be nasty either. But I mean, this is a this is an ongoing problem in these it, it areas. Is. It is, an and then hopefully they hope to make it to Germany. Correct. Correct, and 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 you you know you just you just get the feeling being there that at some point this this river of humanity that's running through these Balkan states up to Germany, at some point you just get the feeling that Germany's going to close the door and say, okay, that's enough. Well, at some point you kind of have to, right? Right. I mean, that's you just right. you don't have a you cho- whether you want to do it or not. You, that's right. You, right. Yeah. yeah, and and so what happens when that door closes? What's going to happen, in, in my opinion, is that you're going to take this crisis and turn it into a disaster. You know, you have, and you think about these countries and how how welcoming they have been with what they've been doing. You know, Croatia's paying for these trains to take people across through their borders. Greece is paying for these ferries to get these people here. When you're in Athens, you realize, first of all, there is graffiti everywhere in Athens. There is not a wall that doesn't have graffiti. But the most impactful one that I saw was somebody had taken up a, a, a spray can and wrote, Refugees Welcome. In, in a country that is struggling themselves yeah, I mean, yeah. economically, you know, they, they are 
doing their best to welcome these people. They recognize how difficult their lives are. And even though they don't have room for all of them, to, they want to at least do what they can to help them on their way to get to where, to where they want to go. And I, I want to ask you know, the, the, the things you personally witnessed and were a part of there. But I, I want to just go back to one other point. You mentioned there is about, what, 12, 13, 14 million refugees. They're just living in tents yeah. somewhere somewhere in Syria. Right. But many right. of them in camps. And many of them in camps. At, at yeah. some point, right, I don't think they want to – their goal is not to stay in those camps, right? I'm, I'm guessing in, over yes. the long haul. Eventually, most of them are going to try to get out That's probably. right. That's right. And, and many of them still maintain the hope. Um, Many of them still maintain the hope of going back to their country. But when you see the pictures of what their country now looks like, many of them are losing hope. And so they've applied for refugee status and asylum and are asking the United Nations to send them anywhere, yeah. anywhere that'll at all. That'll take them. And that'll take them. And, and, you know, we have refugee camps like this around the world. If you, if you remember back during the Sudan crisis, there, we still have camps. You know, there are still these refugee camps where people stay – for years, you know, it is not an easy process to move people as refugees into countries around the world. And so some, of, some people stay there three years, five years, 12 years, 15 years before they find a place that they can be relocated. The people that come into the United States, and I can just speak about our own Catholic Charities Refugee Resettlement Organization, which does incredibly phenomenal work. The people that come in that are helped by refugee resettlement uh, come from uh, Burma and Burundi and and some uh, you know some from the Middle East and they have spent years in the camps before they even had an opportunity to get here and before they even get here they go through anywhere between two year uh, between like a year and a half and two years worth of vetting and examination and background checks you know so in order to get to the United States it's not as if a Syrian refugee would come across the border, say, and and say, I want to go to the United States, and two months later they're here. That doesn't happen at all. They don't get to choose where they go, and when they are assigned where it is that they go, it's it has already taken them years to to get there in the process. I mean, just to highlight one thing that that you uh, mentioned in the in the article in the March Western New York Catholic, um, if you were. A terrorist trying to sneak into the United States as a refugee, right? And as you explain it's, it now, it's kind of a stupid it's idea. It's a stupid right? idea. You're a stupid terrorist. It's a bad plan, right? Yeah. You, you are, it takes forever. Absolutely. You, you can get here much quicker on a student visa or a work visa or yeah. a tourist visa or something. You know, if you mean the United States harm, you're not, you're not going to pose as a refugee and, and hope to get there sometime in the next 8 to 15 years. <laughs> You know, it's, it's yeah, not a not, not a, a good great plan. plan. And and just to you know, just kind of not to muddy the waters, but to just to highlight another point: we're probably going to have another situation in Ethiopia, given the fact that they're experiencing yet another record drought, right. and you're going to have a whole other wave of people That's that right. need to get out of that country because they phys they physically actually cannot live there anymore. Right. That's right. There's nothing to eat. There's no water. So. That's right. And, and you know the classic and the, and the classic definition of why people migrate and where they move, um, you know, there's the push factors and the pull factors, right? Sometimes there's pull factors where, where things, are, uh, things are thought to be so good in the United States, that's where people yeah. want to go. Right. But there's also the push factors so that whatever country you're in, like Syria, 
you did not have a have an idea of leaving until you were pushed out by the circumstances in your, in your own country. Right. So, you know, so those things combine, and what we're seeing in a lot of places around the world are an awful lot of push factors that are uh, instigating the, this movement of people who would not have otherwise chosen to move. We've covered a lot of ground, and we haven't really even talked about your actual trip. But again, yeah. it's covered very well in the in the Western New York Catholic yeah. article in March. So yeah, I encourage people to, to take a look at that. But give me the give me the Cliff Notes version. What was maybe the most striking thing you experienced in Greece and Serbia? Yeah, um, boy, it's a it's a. There were two people that I spoke to. One one was a woman. Let's see if I can squeeze them both in. Oh, sure, it's um, okay. One was a woman whose name was Hyatt. Uh, she had uh, she she had six children. She was traveling with five of them because she had sent one of them on ahead to an uncle who lived in Germany. She was traveling alone with her five children because she was a war widow. She her husband was killed. Um, he wasn't he wasn't even a rebel, um, but he was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And so now it was just her and her six kids. Beautiful, marvelous kids who were just trying to be kids. Her comment was, you know, that that because of the war, her children had not been in uh, her children had not been to school in three years, and she was moving to Germany. She hoped so that they could get an education and not only learn war. Another man that I talked to was was a man named Ahmed who was on his way. He was an electrical engineer, so he's got all the degrees and everything. He was he was working as an electrical engineer. He has four sons. He and his wife have four sons. There was one day when the sons, the, the kids were at school, the wife was out shopping, he was at work, and they came back and their entire neighborhood was gone. Just gone. I, I just picture that, you know, just coming home and your entire subdivision, your entire neighborhood is just leveled. And they dug through the rubble, found what they could, which was almost nothing, moved to another place, and the same thing happened. And it happened a third time. And after the third time, he said, we can't survive like this anymore. We have to get out. As, as, as loyal as he was to his country, um, he said, I'm just not, we're just not welcome here anymore. The bombs are chasing us out. And so they packed up what they could, had everything that they owned on their backs, and made this trek on their way to Germany. Um, to, hear the, to hear their stories and to see the way that they make this, this move um, without ever having wanted to. And you can just picture what your own life would be like when suddenly everything that you knew and, and relied on was just gone. Um, it's heartbreaking. It's, 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 you know, it was um, the work that was being done by CRS and, and other people was absolutely inspiring. So many organizations that CRS is coordinating of, of helping people. Um, but it's just profoundly sad to watch what these people are going through. And it creates, I think, you know, a moral imperative for us to do more than we are doing, both as individuals and as a church and as and as a government, um, and I think part of what we need to do as responsible Catholic citizens is to lobby our government to advocate on their behalf for more funding to provide for these folks and to open the doors to let these people in you know we've we 've taken in so far fewer than four thousand refugees jordan has uh, Lebanon has taken in two million 
you know, I realize it's a, we're not right next door, um, but there's a way that we can help more than we're helping. And obviously, this isn't a program we're going to a problem we're going to solve on a radio program. But we encourage you to visit crs.org. They have great information about first of all how you can help with their work in various areas, but also just about these. Um, places of crisis and the and the needs that are there throughout the world. So definitely visit CRS.org. And on the home front, uh, CCWNY.org, our Catholic Charities website, and uh, you can find out all about the, the refugee program there and the other things that they do in terms of, of helping with situations like this uh, and of which Deacon Don Weigel, our guest today, is a part of. And thanks for all the work that you do in that area. Thank you, Greg. Thanks for having me on. And as always, if you go to our website, buffalodiocese.org, you can find us under the news tab uh, under radio. You can listen to any of the programs, things you might have missed, or I tend to link to all of the topics that we cover here on uh, Western New York Catholic Weekly. We'll be back again next week. You've been listening to Western New York Catholic Weekly, produced by the Office of Communications for the Catholic Diocese of Buffalo, with the help of the Catholic Communication Campaign and this radio station. If you have a comment about this week's program or need more information about anything you hear on Western New York Catholic Weekly, call us at 847-8744 or send us an email to radio at buffalodiocese.org. Our email address again is radio at buffalodiocese.org or call 847-8744. You can visit the Western New York Catholic and the Diocese of Buffalo online at buffalodiocese.org. And be sure to join Greg Prince again next week for Western New York Catholic Weekly.